Today on the podcast, we are joined by Wally Waldron of Exodology. And Wally shares how he went from a company that was positioned as a marketing agency to really moving over to a growth consultancy where they are able to create massive results for clients, where they're able to help them be able to create these exits that will allow them to be, become very wealthy. And in the meantime, add tens of millions of dollars to their business. And in, in as short as nine months, he actually shares a case study on that. And that's something that, that Wally and his team have not always been able to do, but it came from a place where they, they really committed to excellence. They committed to focus and they committed to scaling their business based on bringing such a level of excellence to their industry. And I want to share the story so that you can actually see what's possible when you, you can actually have a more sustainable company when you approach it in this way. And Wally has shared in the past how this has helped him increase his pricing. They've doubled their pricing three different times going through our irresistible offer process. And also that has made the company more sustainable. He's going to be actually talking about how that's impacted his team, how they've been able to, to get the team to be taking more ownership in a way that wouldn't have been possible before they had made some of these shifts. So something he doesn't share during the episode that we had actually just talked about after was how he had actually had 29 days of skiing this past season. And that's one of his metrics that he uses to define how successful he is being as at being a hands-off CEO. That really makes a big difference because it allows him to be focusing on what is important to him and gives him that free time. It gives him that space to uh, think and to create. And also it's given him some space to make a big difference in, in the causes that are really special and important to him. And he's going to share more about that. So excited to have Wally here. Enjoy the episode. They said getting started was the hardest part, but no one told you how hard it is to scale a custom service business. It's time for your team to step up, but your clients want you. Discover how to scale to seven figures and beyond by freeing up time and getting your team to run whole parts of the company so you can focus on scaling profits. This is the Hands Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. Hi, this is Mandy Ellefson, host of the Hands Off CEO podcast. Today on our show, we have Wally Waldron from Exodology. Wally, it's just so fun to have you on today. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm honored to be a guest. Hey, Wally's been in our, he's been really connected in, into Hands Off CEO for a number of years now. So it's been really fun watching him grow and that his team has continued to grow and expand and I know while you have a great book, you could tell us about it a little bit more, but you know, why don't you first introduce yourself a little bit? Maybe you could share your outcome statement too, sure. which are our, our outcome statement, just for context, outcome statement is what our clients use to like really show how they're very best in the market. So, all right, mm -hmm. Wally, I would love to hear more about you and your outcome statement. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mandy. Yeah. So, so what we're doing at Exitology is we are helping blue collared and industrial businesses think manufacturers, think industrial services, think those types of businesses, think construction. We're helping those types of businesses to create up to 33% annual growth by optimizing your resources. So it won't cost you a penny. And the reason we're doing that is because most of these businesses have owners who have worked way too hard, way too long, and have most of their wealth trapped in those businesses. And so when we apply exitology, it helps them buy back their time and freedom. Love it. Love it. So when you're looking at 30% at annual growth, what kind of results have your clients seen as far as like how that's impacted their business dollar-wise? And, and oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, that, that's always a fun question. And uh, what I like about it is that uh, we were just on the phone the other day with one of our clients. And to kind of set the stage a little bit, you've got a spread too thin, but really, really smart gentleman who's in his early 50s, who has taken three businesses and put them all together. And, you know, he's he's got three operations, and he's got a lot of capacity that he needs to fill. And so we went in and we took him through the beginning of our process, which we call the eight figure growth blueprint. And it's really just the cornerstone of a multi step process that we take folks through. And we identified with this client that Okay, if we, you know, if we did X, Y, and Z, that we could probably take the company from about twelve million dollars in revenue to twenty million dollars in revenue over the course of about three years, and that looked really good. They stepped into what's called our accelerator program and started working with us as business growth partners for a period of time. You know, utilizing us as their business growth strategist, using utilizing us to bring resources they 
they did not have into their business to make this happen. And uh, nine months went by and we achieved that first goal that we thought was going to take three years. So rather than taking 36 months to get to the next milestone of $20 million in revenue, we got them to $20 million in nine months. And more importantly, first of all, that's awesome. Right. And it's, you know, we, we were as shocked as they were and pleasantly surprised, but the best part was that they maintained and in some cases even expanded their profit margins while they went through that process. And so that's, possibly the most important thing that I can share about that particular example, because as you you know, go back to how are you actually going to grow a business and how are you actually going to extract all of that value that's trapped in the business? Well, it starts with profit margin. And then it starts with, can that profit margin become part of a transferable value for that business? And so these folks are, are well on their way. And now now we're continuing to work with them because we have another 10 million or more shared goal you know with them to get them up to 30 million because they have an entire location that quite frankly has the capacity to handle it so it's it, it's a lot of fun and it's it's just a you know it, it's just so cool when a when a client goes from skeptical with you to trusting you and mm. that's really that you know like that's the juice there like the numbers are cool but the relationship and how this is changing this client and his entire business's life, that's what's really cool about it. That's really exciting. Wow. I want to pull apart a couple of things that you were saying that you're sharing here because there are other companies in your industry that might say, you know what, we're marketing agencies. We're, mar- we're, we're this, we're that. We, we focus on those things. But you were really positioning yourself as a growth partner specifically for these blue collar companies that you're talking about. Yes. And, and I think importantly, we don't really do BS metrics. So you can talk to anybody who's been trained in HubSpot, for instance. Oh, what's a marketing qualified lead? Oh, what's a sales qualified lead? Oh, what's a, you know, you know, go talk to a social media firm, right? Oh, what's a name your vanity metric of, of the quarter, right? And it's at the end of the day, we ask to be held accountable to one metric and one metric only, and that is the transferable value metric. Because if we're not actually building real value in your business, at the same time setting you up for the exit that you desire and that you design, why are we even doing this to begin with? Mm-hmm. And it's my sincere hope that five years from now, you're going to hear a bunch of other you know, so-called marketing firms or so-called growth firms or whatever that also want to be held accountable to this metric because that would be great for everybody. <laughs> but yeah, that's really, you know, I, I guess that, that's the most important thing I could share with anybody listening here is, you know, it, it's a strategic metric. Does that make right. sense? It makes perfect sense. And one of the things that it's, it sounds like what you're saying is that the, the real metric is you can drive transferable value in the exit, which to me, it sounds like when they go to, to want to actually sell the company, it's worth millions of dollars more. That's, that's a part of that. That's exactly that accurate. Part of it? Yeah, and absolutely. As a, a nice byproduct is that they're making millions of dollars of profitable growth working with you over the course of like nine months. That's exactly it, right? So, you know, if they need to reinvest in a better team, they can do that. If they need to reinvest in someone to help them scale the business and put better structure in, they can do that. If they want to play the tax optimization game and, you know, put a lot more assets under management for, you know, with their wealth manager and do that, they can do that. If they want to, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it's, it's that, that's the best part of it is because you see, you know, we, we make some pretty big promises on the front end and I honestly, rightly so people come in and look at it and say like, well, how are you actually doing that? And they have a lot of questions and they should have a lot of questions because there's a lot of folks out there who oversell and under deliver. And so we really invite people to, you know, to, to come to our presentations and to get a copy of our book, Exitology, and to really peer under the hood a little bit and kind of, you know, say, is this correct for me? And, mm-hmm. and then as they start, you know, it, and then if, if that still seems like it's correct, then that's when we invite them to have a conversation because we're talking about going on these three to five, sometimes even 10 year growth journeys. And a lot can go right and wrong over that period of time. And I think it's really important to to go in with eyes wide open and make sure that whoever you're going to go on this possibly the most important business growth journey your entire life that that you that you find the right partner. So I want to unpack a couple of things that you said that is really impactful. One of them, first of all, is that you're talking about a longer term time frame. You know, at 
Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure you have plenty of, I, I know that I've, I've heard from you plenty of times in, in, in years past where you've had clients that have come and said, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to focus on this metric. You, you know, you talked about that, that example of, mm-hmm. of the social media likes or whatever those things are. And you're mm-hmm. saying, no, this is the journey we're taking you on. It's a three to five year journey. This right. is the kind of the results that we can create. And you're, you get to choose to be selective with the clients and you get to pick and choose the kind of clients you want to work with. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's, you know, because it's important, right? It's that there's sort of a notion out there that people in business are always competing against each other. But if you really step back and think about it, when was the last time you were actually head to head competing with anybody compared to what were were you doing all day long? You're collaborating, right? You're looking, I I mean, for the most part, (laughs) probably 95% of the time. And I mean, you know, and and I know, I know enough about hands-off CEO and, you know, you, you're a leader who's creating leaders, right? That how much collaboration is just going down the line from all of those kind of things. And so I think it's, it's very important for people who are, you know, it's their baby, right? It's their business, but it's, it's their baby. You want to know that you're working with people who are going to be shepherding that process and, and really, you know, the, the, they're going to take you to the promised land. So you want to make sure they're the right people. You mentioned something about making a big promise. And you also mentioned mm-hmm. about how you get a lot of questions up front. Now, what we hear a lot of time, what I've, I've actually seen is that we have had agencies that go and put this into place and or consulting companies that put this into place. And they're saying, wait, ever there's the people are saying that this isn't going to work. They're asking questions and they like back off. Right. So yep. it sounds like what you're doing actually is leaning in. So how have you wrapped your head around, you know, really taking this stand as this partner and, and really being held accountable for these results with these, with these big promises that you make now? How has that journey been for you? Yeah, if I can be 100% honest, and I'd like to be at times totally frightening. And at other times, <laughs> right? and, 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 but, but at other times, just amazing. And, and because you do, and this is a discussion I believe you and I have had, and I'm bringing it to a public forum right now, but (laughs) I remember one time you, you shared something with me way back in our business journey about what do they call imposter syndrome. And you said something along these lines, imposter syndrome is simply your conscience or your conscience going in and making sure that you, (laughs) that you're going to make good on your promise. And, and so (laughs) I, it, it's a very nice reframe and it's a very, it, and it, it was very impactful. I don't know when you shared that with me. It has hung out. It's, it's stuck with me over the years. And I think what it does is, you know, you have to kind of go into this place for a moment and say, there's a blank canvas and here's what I want to create. And then you have to be crazy enough to create it. And then you have to step back and then, you know, work with every resource under the sun that you can possibly find and say, all right. This is actually realistic, and this is a very big promise. How do we actually do this? And so, in in our case, because we work with you know construction firms, manufacturing firms, industrial firms, blue collar firms, we call our initial process a blueprint because the language matters. I can sit there and share with someone that we are going to blueprint your path to success, and we are going to co-create that together, and we're going to check step by step along the way that understanding of you know, is this a resource that you have in house that can change the way they're doing things? Is this a resource that we will need to bring to bear? Is it, and so on and so forth. But importantly, just like just like building a house, you know, if you've ever built a custom home or a custom anything in construction, your first blueprint. Once you go into timelines, once you go into code violations, once you go into financial financial considerations, whatever, you might change that blueprint but still bring something beautiful to bear. And so our process is very much designed just like that. And it and and again it's important that that language is there because now we can start to build that trust window and now we can start to shepherd that process, right? Here's how we're building your future. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And you know, listeners that are are here tuning in, they may be thinking, well, you know, this sounds like a lot of work. This sounds like a lot of risk. Why would you do it this way? A lot of risk on who? On us? On you, right? It sounds mm-hmm. like, here's the thing is, is the way most agencies work, you started off as a marketing agency and then you right. just continue to expand this, expand this as, and, and really you're in a consulting company now that is yep. gen, that that is doing marketing work. 
and, yep. and among other things, uh, you're you're yep. really coming at it as a strategist, looking at their their profitability. And so, why would you take this approach when you could just go and and offer deliverables and have absolutely yeah. nothing at stake on your end? Yeah, you know, there's a couple different reasons, and and one for us, it's because we know that if we put this big offer out here and this transformational concept out to the right people that we really can change not just their life but their families lives and possibly you know generations of their backyard and part of that and you know I'm 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 going I'll get more to the business part of it now but like part of our why is that you think of the people who typically are running a blue collar industrial type business a lot of times it's it's a beat up old dude who worked way too dang hard right that gentleman's legacy to his family is everything that he's built and can pass on. The way that he best knows how to pass that on is through this business. And so if we can help him unlock that value and unlock his potential, make it a little bit easier on him as it, as it goes out, then the father's legacy has truly been passed on to that next generation. And mm -hmm. so one is that we kind of heard the call. I should say we totally heard the call. <laughs> okay. I mean, and, and it was be bigger and be more impactful, like put all of these things together for a much bigger result. So, so there was that aspect of it. But also, it's just at some point you get tired of playing small and just bringing these duct taped tactics together. You know, in 2019, it was bots. And, you know, every year SEO is the last year of SEO, supposedly. And, you know, depending on the year, it's, you know, PPC is going to do this or it's going to do <laughs> And, you know, you just like go on down the line, right? And all these tactics, you know, they, they forget it. It's so much noise instead of signal, right? It's, there's a human being that has a need on one side and there's a human being on an, the other side that can fulfill that need. And either they're talking in a way at some point. Now, if it's marketing, right, there, there's a, it's a one-way discussion for a long time. But either you're being found for all those things that you can solve in the world or you're not. And so for me, it was, you know, how can we take these, the, the most important thing, which is just creating that communication of value, augmenting it so that people can, you know, create transferable value in their business. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, Wally, is that this has actually become a real passion for you. This has become yeah. this bigger why. So how has that changed? There's a number of things to, to look at here. So how is this changing yeah. like your day-to-day -day for how you're feeling your business? How is this changing the pricing that you're offering? How is this changing mm -hmm. overall the team, the team excitement? How is this changing just overall the, the scalability of your company? I know I asked like four questions there. There are so many <laughs> questions there. So so yeah, and you may have to ask me a couple of them again, but I'll I'll That's okay. You know, I'll, I'll start with, you know, yes, has it changed the day to day, right? Here, here's a great example. Yesterday, starting around two o'clock in the afternoon, I spent the rest of my day working with the president of a, of a nonprofit who is starting an arts and education center here in my county. And it quite possibly, you know, will be the type of model that can be duplicated throughout the nation to help solve the problem that there are no professional arts pathways being provided anymore in most of the schools. And it's, it's a, it, I, I'm, so I'm helping this gentleman create his legacy and do his legacy project. And at the same time, I have the time and freedom to do that. It's not like I was stressed out because I stepped out of the office. Right. So going back to your, your second question there, I'm supported by my team because we have we're making big enough promises that everybody can profit along the way, including us, right? Because our, our services are not inexpensive. They're worth it. And the ROI is massive over this three to five year period of time. But there is a significant investment to work with us, right? But what does that mean for us? That means we can build the team. We can support the team and bring the best team members in to make these things happen. And then what does that do for me, the CEO? As CEOs, we're all a bunch of head cases. We need a lot of space. And so, <laughs> and yeah, it's, you know, it, it presents itself in so many different ways. You know, there, there's a gentleman who I, I, I work with in the exit planning environment. And, you know, his whole thing is golf. That, for whatever reason, that game just speaks to him. And that's his, that's where he can take his 
challenging red-blooded energy out and come back as a Zen master, right? For me, it's going into the woods, whether it's skiing, whether it's hiking, whether it's, you know, whatever. And so everybody has one of these that they need if they're leading a team. And so, you know, going to your your next question. So we have a team in place, we have a structure in place. And to a T, the reason why our business works is because of the culture. Oh, by the way, we're great at what we do technically, but the spirit of that business. And that was something that I did not even have on my radar in a real sense five years ago. And that's the part that holds it all together where people go the extra mile for each other without you even knowing that it's happening until you hear something, you know, people supporting each other later or, you know, going out of their way to do something extra for a client because they saw an unmet need that wasn't necessarily obvious to anyone and just all these types of things. And so there's that culture aspect of it. There's that teamwork aspect of it. Right. And it comes from all of, all of that energy. And then to your point, how does that help you scale? There is this ball of magnetic energy now where we, we just hired an assistant who we think eventually will grow into another client success leader. So this individual came from a process that you're very well familiar with that you you use with your clients and the numbers look like this 564 people at the top of the funnel there was one person who made it through because the team protected that culture and so why does that matter for scaling because now we have the power team and the game changes how long can we keep the power team together and keep this excitement going so I hope I answered all your questions. That was that's, great. That's what, it, that's what it looks like from this side. <laughs> and, and that's exactly why I asked the question that way. I know, And I know you're intelligent enough, Wally, to be able to capture all that together. And you answered that beautifully because what you shared is how it's all connected. And, yes. and one of the things that we're increasingly seeing with consulting agencies is that there is a, a real disconnect between sales, marketing, and operations. And mm-hmm. what we have discovered is that 80% of operations challenges are actually caused in the sales process. Oh, I believe that for so many different reasons. Well, <laughs> what love- have you seen? So, I, I, mean, I, well, I, I, I could talk about this for hours, but I'm curious so, what your thoughts are on this from what you've seen this. So I, I can, I'll couch it first with our own process and I'll also share with what we see over in, you know, the, the manufacturing world and stuff like that. But it's really this simple. I'm making a sale. I'm making a big promise. I'm telling you whatever you need to hear so that you make the leap of faith and then come aboard. The hardest part for the client or the customer at that stage is going through the inevitable buyer's regret because it's, it's a non-negotiable part of the process. It happens. <laughs> if you've bought a car or anything, it happens, right? So is the handoff from the sales mindset and the sales experience commensurate with the operations and fulfillment side? Because if there's a big disconnect there, the rest yes. goes to you know what in a handbasket. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we've seen. I'd be curious how that's matching yeah. oh, the consulting world. <laughs> no, it, it, no it's, it, it's exactly what we see because there's so much of the operations challenges that you run into is clients not following the process, clients having mm-hmm. buyer's remorse, like you're, you're saying. And what mm-hmm. ends up happening is the CEO has to come in and jump in and kind of save the day. And yeah. a lot of what that is coming from is that the operations team don't actually understand what has gone on in the sales and marketing process to really understand how it's all connected. And, and if they can't be like, be selling clients all the way through on why mm-hmm. they want to continue and, and help them see, this is what we're doing. Look at the progress we're making. If they can't right. speak that language like you can, I mean, you could do that naturally. As CEOs, we started our company and we just figure out how to do all those things. Right. But our team, they're oftentimes operate in silos. Yep. So if we can break that down and help them see how it's all connected, that's what helps. You're demonstrating how it's increased the, your price points considerably. Yep. And I maybe you can share that at some point if you want, how that has impacted it, if you feel comfortable with that. You, and you've shared how that's impacted your culture and that your team actually showing up and give, giving them their, their best to mm-hmm. clients, giving their best to each other and really protecting that culture. You know, like you were saying, right. 564 candidates and you only hire one. Like you, like you are picky. You're extremely picky. And that's not surprising how you find people that are, you can see that they can grow within the company. 
Right. Yeah. I, one of the practices that we do in our company and, and, and I, frankly, I suggest everyone does it because that's how impactful it's been is taking people, including, I mean, everybody on the team going through the Colby score and then having like having meetings, some are formal, some are sort of informal and stuff like that, but really just kind of doing round robin meetings about here's yours versus mine. What does that mean? And just having these open-ended sharing sessions about, oh, because what we found is if you can put, for instance, your accountability chart up against a Colby score and just have that discussion, even if it's a 20-minute discussion, light bulbs go off because it's like, oh, that's why if if I call Wally on a Wednesday before 1030, he breathes fire down my neck and says, get the heck out of my office. Or that's why, you know, so-and-so is up at 630, like put an order to the universe all day long. And because what you learn is how to put those aces in their places. And I think that's the most important part of the team building side. And, you know, I don't know if you can ever get too good at that side of it. You know, look at football teams, like you're only as good as your last win, right? Like somebody gets injured, next man up, you know, and you can American football, English football, I don't care what football you're talking about. <laughs> okay. The analogy works, right? And it's right. But it and it, and it's so I I find it, I find that part of the business to be endlessly fascinating and kind of something that you alluded to, you know, one of the benefits, because one of the transformational things that your hands-off CEO experience gives to consultants is to help people go from, you know, kind of bumping along and having these massive up and downs and stuff like that to building a sustainable business and a sustainable seven, eight figure business one that actually makes good on its promises, one that makes bigger promises. It's a very impactful program that you have. And one of the impacts that may not be obvious to people who are looking at it is when you have the extra resources, what it really gives you as the CEO is breathing room. And the breathing room allows you as the CEO to be in your, I'm going to call it your five to 10 year creative perspective and actually do what you're supposed to do as a CEO, which is to see the possibilities of where the business is going and shepherd it through the future, right? To create a future that does not yet exist. And at the same time, because you have that breathing room, you can calmly but powerfully mentor people into those proper timeframes. So for instance, we consider our client success leader and our operations bench to be up to a year timeframe. And then people who are more focused on deliverables and tactical things in nature, we don't really want them thinking outside of a 90-day time frame. In fact, if we can keep you in a 10-day time frame, we're very thrilled about that because they're the detail-oriented side of things. But back to your point, we've got to have a vision that everybody buys into because they want to bring it forth, but we then have to be able to communicate it on these different time frames and on these different granularities so that it makes sense and is meaningful for each of these individuals on the team. Mm. I love what the, what you shared there. And that's a really interesting distinction about the timeframes to have you people be thinking in like the 10 day versus 90 day versus, you know, the five to 10 year. And what did you find in this whole journey was the hardest thing that kept you from having that breathing room? So I went through a couple versions of it or a couple iterations of, of the process. So, so the first one was trusting the process. If I had a do-over, I would have trusted it more and deeper and sooner and just done the dang work. And so, for instance, there was a lot of skepticism at one point from me in terms of like of hiring a full-time project manager and then pushing that person very hard. And a lot of it was, and I hope it's okay, I'm going here. It, it's all inner game stuff, right? It's yeah. a lot of it was this kind of almost like egoic hang up on being the swashbuckling entrepreneur. I don't need that help kind of thing. And, and I, I see the same thing. This, this is part of why we serve, you know, this blue collar market. We, we have a, we have a gentleman right now who we're working with and he, he, he's 37 years old. And I, you know, he looks like he's 55 because his way of working is that if things aren't working well enough, I'll just work twice as hard. And it, and it's like all the time, right? Right. And, uh, and it's not just males that do it, although males are often, you know, very, <laughs> very motivated to do it that way. And uh, it's, but it's like, you know, oh, it's not working to 
go through this brick wall. I'll just hit my head against it twice as fast. It's like, have you thought maybe just step back and ask the person on the other side to throw the rope over so you could climb? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe even just walk around the brick wall. And it's like, you know, it, and it's one of those things. So you have to have that moment of like space and consideration to actually, you know, work smarter and not harder. Right. And it sounds so trite, but it really is that. And if what you've been doing for the last 18, 24 months is the a version of the same thing and it's not working, it's probably incumbent upon you to take that pause and, and do that. And then, and so, so, so the first one for me was, was, was just, just listening and, and finally, you know, doing the dang work. Right. So kind of getting that ego out of the way. Then the next thing was, staying focused because entrepreneurs and CEOs are notorious for chasing bright, shiny objects and stuff like that. Right. And so I had to make an agreement with myself at some point that I don't search for new deals. Good, good deals come for me. Right. And, and so like, if, cause you know, you know, some of my history where I was in the deal-making space and all this other stuff. And the fact of the matter is I was just wasting a lot of time instead of creating a new initiative in the business, right. Or creating you know, working on finding that next team member or something like that. So, so there's that aspect of it. And then finally, it, I think the biggest part was getting out of most, pretty much everywhere that you're not supposed to be. And business is a, it's a never ending journey. You're going to get pulled into places you're not supposed to be where, you know, where you're not working in your zone of genius, you know, not working in your zone of excellence, those types of things. You might be working in a really your zone of whatever the opposite of excellence is. Right. But it's going to happen, but you've got to get yourself out of there as fast as possible. And, and that was what that looked like at one point. And I, and was taking a process. There used to be a deliverable that we led with and we had great success with it. We, we had a gentleman in the restoration space go from very inconsistent with his marketing and demand generation sometime around 2015. His wife died in the middle of his journey with us. We thought that he was going to walk away completely. He came back 90 days later. We saw him all the way to his exit in January of 2019. His operations manager was the bridge for the new owners. We handed it off successfully to new owners. The value was transferred, right? Wow. That was awesome. What sucked was in 2015, it took me 45 hours to deliver the first deliverable because I was working so much into the business. By 2019, that same deliverable took me about four hours. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And it's coming back to me because I remember you sharing this some years back, actually. And mm -hmm. yeah, where it used, used to take you 45 hours to deliver a service. Now it's four hours. So now is that a higher quality service now that requires less of you? Yeah, because what's interesting is now I've got other people's brains on it, right? And some sometimes the actual deliverable might represent 60 hours of our business putting work into this thing. But it's a team effort now with a proven refined process as opposed to a consultant doing whatever a consultant does. Right. See the difference there? Well, I do. And what I'm I'm hearing you actually demonstrate is how you've been able to scale what most people say is completely unscalable. Yep. We hear this we we hear this in the industrial market. Two two weeks ago I sat in a gentleman's office and he said, you know, the only part of this business that we can't transfer is me because I'm a genius and it's my brain. <laughs> and I said, yeah. okay, right. I'll, I'll spend 15 minutes listening to that to kind of see where you're coming from. And by the time I walked out of that office, I showed him, well, actually, couldn't we silo this side of the business here and then have a $10 million exit? And couldn't we kind of silo this IP over here and have another $10 million exit and then see what's left over as to the part that's still just your genius brain? And he was sitting there, you know, you could see he was just left spinning because of that, you know, I said, let's just, let's let you kind of marinate on that for a while. We'll come back in a couple months because most of the time, as you know, it's, it can be extracted. Right. Right. And it really, the, one of the biggest things that holds us back from doing that is our own belief and listening right. to what the general narrative is that that's, that, that, that can't be done. My new book that's coming out, I talk about how exactly to do that, how exactly to remove yourself in a consulting company. And it sounds like your book talks about that specifically for in the, the blue collar type of space. Yep. Yeah. So, and, so if you think of most manufacturers, for instance, here's a very common situation, really, really smart engineer or engineer minded person 
created what looks like a company. I've got a process or I've got products and doodads are spit, spit out of this really nice building, right? But here's the part. It looks like a company. It smells like a company. It has employees running around. It has materials, right? It has all of these things. But usually there's one or two really huge clients that make up all of the business. So you have this massive client concentration risk. And if that owner wasn't there holding the whole operation together, the whole thing would fall apart. Right. It's this pattern throughout all of these businesses. And, and it's important work that, that you're doing. It's, I, I feel it's important work that we're doing to help these business owners to unlock that value. Mm, I love that. I want to actually review those three things that you said, because one of them is, is that the thing that held you back from really being able to have that breathing room as a CEO, that space for you to, to grow your own company, trusting the process and like that, that ego you were mentioning and really letting go to, to let your team, you, you talked about that more in, in step three there. The other mm-hmm. piece was staying focused and looking at which parts of the business, which parts of your time and energy you were just going to say no to and no longer do and yep. getting really focused. And what I also heard is you, by you doing that, you're really getting working on the business, spending your time doing that. And then the third piece, getting out of everywhere that you don't need to be and really cutting your time out of working in the business, working in project work, working in all the different places that you've thought before that you needed to do. Now, mm-hmm. when you're going through this, if someone would have pointed out, hey, you know what? You're in the ego right now, Wally. got to trust the process. Would you have actually believed that you were in that? I'm laughing a little bit here because I have a feeling I know might know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so the honest answer is it probably depends, right? And 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 what I mean by that is it depended on when and where I was in that process. And I think one of the one one of the interesting experiences that I had, right? I'm an alumni of your program, and uh, you know there there were a couple times where there were conversations, shall we say, where it started with me saying, "No, that's not the problem." Da 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 da. And through some strong persuasive efforts on your end, I was shown that actually, yes, <laughs> you are getting in right. your own way. And uh, and so I, I hope that's judicious enough for the public sharing. But well, w- <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted to point this out, though, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And by the way, Wally and I are talking about this and Wally came pretty early. Actually, you were the one of the first people when we started the Scale of Freedom program. You were the first in the first cohort. So mm-hmm. we have grown since then. We have more advisors on our team since then. But one of the things that I want to point out is that you were in it and you didn't even know you were in it. And it's only when you're looking back that you could see, oh, wow, I was, I thought I was making progress here, but it wasn't nearly at the level that, that it was, that was possible that actually took me to the next level. Yeah. And, and I, here was a question that, that I remember you asked me and it, it, it's funny now looking back on it and I'm going to share it on this on this recording today, because there might be somebody else out here who can benefit from this. And it, the question was, it was a very simple question. You just looked at me one day and said, do you think there might be a mindset issue happening here? And I remember, no, no, it's anything but that. (laughs) And, you know, being a very stubborn bull hunt headed person as I am, it probably took me a good nine months until until I really accepted that, yes, there's a mindset issue happening here. Oh no, what do I do about that? And, and, and it's, we, we can kind of like box ourselves in, I guess is my point. And so the reason I share it is one, one, it's kind of a fun story of, of the water under the bridge, but <laughs> mo- much more importantly, it's, it's the, somebody, if you're feeling stuck or you're, you know, or things are not moving in the direction that you thought they needed to in your business and stuff like that, it's, it's worth going through and considering, am I stuck in a mindset trap or have I painted myself into some sort of mindset corner or something like that? And, and even further, you know, if, if you find that the answer is yes, then seek the help that is appropriate for you at that time. Thanks for sharing that. You know, something else interesting here. And I'm not going to say any names on this, but I will say that someone else in our program that started it at actually was also one of the, one of the first ones that came through the Scale to Freedom program. He was talking to our tribe and we had him come back and share what his journey has looked like. And he's on track for a $10 million company now, which is 
it's been a considerable amount of growth. And while well, you probably know who I'm talking about here, I'm not going to say who, so who, well, his name, but one of the things that he shared was, and he never would have sh- shared this like, you know, seven or eight years ago. It was that the, the number one thing that has gotten him to where he's at is mindset. And yeah. I, I, I just kind of laughed a little bit because for him to, to point out that, that what, what really hinged the growth of his business and all the profitability increases that they'd made, all the, the, the team expansion and, and these new lines of business that all came down to mindset. I was shocked he said that, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently it's getting through. So, but that's one of the things that I've discovered for myself in my own entrepreneurial journey too, is that every problem that presents itself, really what it comes down to is it's a mindset issue in disguise. Because Mm -hmm. really when you, when you can change the way you look at a problem in a situation and you change your mental models around it, you change the questions that you ask around it. Mm -hmm. That's when you start seeing a new, new possibilities that open up that are all were there the whole time, but you didn't see it. Right. And, and what I, what I've seen is just having that tribe of people around you to help push those buttons, help you see it another way. And I, I've seen you do that too, Wally. I've seen you mm-hmm. at some of our retreats go and like <laughs> put the fire on certain people. And I think you probably know some, some, some names coming to mind with mm-hmm. doing that, but it created a massive transformation in a way that only you were able to create with, you mm-hmm. know, this other tribe member, because you could actually hear, you could see the situation that you've run into. Right. In that way. Yeah. And I, I do, you know, people forget how social we are as beings and it gets lonely there up in the C-suite, you know, and especially if you're doing this founder to CEO journey. First of all, there's not a lot of people who have successfully made that journey as a starting point. And second of all, you know, those who have, you'll find you'll find almost almost 100 percent of the time they'll talk about the mindset stuff. And they'll talk about the support that they had around them. And so the idea of putting a tribe together and where, you know, you, we have a saying in, in, in one of our groups here on the front range, a place where it's safe to look stupid. And, and I think mm. it's, I think that's important, right? Cause so much in business, you know, you're always, you know, just, we're only telling the good side of the story. And so I think it's important to have peers who you trust, who can challenge you, but also call you out. And, and if, if, if you're looking stupid that day, that's okay. Right. Because it's, it's in the sanctity of that, that place. And the purpose of that place is for everybody to build themselves, you know, build each other up and help each other through those challenges and, and hopefully learn from each other. Right. Right. Well, and I love that, that you shared that too, because I think that's one of the lesser talked about aspects of having that tribe because I think I think it's an obvious one that you want to surround yourself with people who are how who are where you want to be, mm-hmm. right? It, that's that's an obvious thing, but in having people that are going to challenge you to look at things in a different way, mm-hmm. and, and that takes that that takes a certain culture that you build too. It takes a, a willingness to to really show up for someone else mm-hmm. and sit in the discomfort of the other person being uncomfortable with you doing that. Right. Like with permission, right? There's there's permission walking right. in the room like that. You're not just throwing stuff at people. But that's that's really how you can impact change is being able to to be so committed that you're willing to be uncomfortable for the other person to have a transformation. Yep. Yep. 100%. And and the other thing is then you can bring those skills that you've embodied at this high level back into your team too. And it it creates a symbiotic relationship. Right. As a safe place to test that out and to to continue developing exactly, those skills that as a leader. Exactly, because right. it's. I mean, you know, when you're when you're thinking about developing leaders, right? Because that's really at the essence of of what you do. The there's all those different levels of leadership, and you know, just because somebody reports to you doesn't necessarily mean they're following your lead. And we we see we see some amazing versions of this, mostly bad in the blue collar industry. I mean, I have stories of salespeople. I, I mean, I could, I could go on for days and I'll only tell one, but I have stories of salespeople going in to the shop to have whatever they're going to go and deliver that day. You know, and we're talking, this is hard work we're talking about, right? Like you're at work at 630 in the morning, all your stuff needs to be ready to go and deliver that day. And you're going to be on the road for at least 12 hours doing this whole thing. Whatever you're putting in that truck that morning needs to be correct or else you're driving that whole thing on Saturday and your entire weekend is ruined, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
in that scenario, you have people that are supposed to work together. And I remember this story about a year ago at one of our clients where the salesperson went in and double checked, you know, said, Hey, did you know, hey, Mr. Operations side of things. And and I'm trying to tie it back a little bit to the sales and operations side too, right? But he's like, Hey, hey, guy in the in, in the back over here in the machine shop, did you put X, Y, and Z in here? And the guy in the machine shop says, I don't know, why don't you check it? And it elevated and escalated so quickly. And this is where the lack of leadership came in that at one point there were people just, it, it was a street fight. Like the salesperson threatened to literally cut the guy from, you know, where to, you know, where, and the other guy you know said, well, I mean, it's, it, I'll just leave it at that. But it's, it's like, it can get culture really hard. Yeah. And so, but culture issues. Right. And so it's like, it's like, that's how bad it can actually get. If just basic leadership and basic trust is violated and it, and it, you know, and so it, there, there are very real world consequences to these types of things that we're talking about. Well, I love the example you gave because it's such an extreme example that's like visceral and you can visualize it, right? But even in, in companies that are, might be distributed around the globe, like you still have that same energy. Maybe nobody's got pulling out knives, like physical right. knives, but Let's hope not. that the energy still can happen. Yeah. And there's like this this toxic culture, or it maybe maybe it's not even a toxic culture, but it's a culture where we're just there's not the accountability. People are not moving things forward and, and they're, yep. they're pointing fingers at everybody else. Oh yeah. So yeah, we, so we see a version of that. A lot of times what happens in our business is because we've built this business up, you know, remember our promise, right? 33% annual growth without it costing you a penny. So you do that for three to five years, the value of that business and the multiplier you're going to get for it is so much higher. So what ends up happening a lot of times is whoever brought us in as that initial growth partner will actually, when the acquirer comes in, they'll need to keep us on as a, as a transition bridge because the new group doesn't know everything that we've done. Mm-hmm. And so it's not uncommon that we're still helping this transition a couple of years later to make sure it works out for everybody. And where I'm going with this is it's very, it's always an interesting experience and you never know what you're going to get when you are working with the company and they get acquired. Because a lot of times, you know, you've got people coming in like, okay, show us everything you did. We're going to take it all over and da, 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 da. And, and so, you know, our answer is whatever the client asks us to do, we're going to do. And so you go in here and you'll have these different outcomes where in a single day you could have the new guy who's 26 years old and is trying to tell a bunch of, you know, older hats and <laughs> they're trying to tell a bunch of people, which is us, hey, I'm your new boss and you're going to do this stuff. Right. And it's like, I'm happy for you. That's great. We'll just we'll just see how this all works out, right? And then normally that kind of goes to hell in a handbasket because he's not exhibiting real leadership, right? It's just, hey, I'm higher than you on the work chart, blah, 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 blah. And then you have the whole other end of the spectrum, which is, wow, thank you for showing us in such in-depth all this work you've done over here. How can you continue to keep that going and help us integrate this into our business. And so you know which of those two I'd much rather be involved with. It's like, yes, let's c- keep creating as much value as we possibly can for everybody involved. But but at the heart, what is it really? It's still both of those stories are just leadership stories. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the biggest take home too here is that the culture, the direction of the company, everything starts from the top. And any problems that you're running into in your business as a CEO, you've created, you've created those. There's an expression, the fish rots from the head down. (laughs) Kind of applicable here, right? (laughs) Totally. (laughs) So, well, well, it's been such a a fun conversation. It's been great to hear your your progress. And I I mean, you should be so proud of yourself. And man, I'm proud of you. I've been watching you, you be growing over the years. And I've been seeing how you you grow into this exceptional consultant who is coming in and, and creating these eight, nine figure excess. This is pretty exciting. So thank you. What's next? What's next? What's next? So, so we talk a lot about the idea of eventually, you know, having me spend no more than a third of my time building exitology so that I can focus more of my time in terms of helping really the big cause that I see out there is a lack of good father figures. And start to put a dent in the universe. The concept, as we call it, is father nature, and it's a play on mother nature. And, you know, 
right now it's real humble. It looks like supporting that arts center I was telling you about at the top of the hour. And it looks like, you know, making sure that, you know, the Pinewood Derby gets run for the Cub Scouts and things like that. And, but, but really just finding places where, you know, 30%, um, 30% of white children don't have a father in the home. Uh, 70% of black children don't. And, you know, that's a lot of missing fathers. And so I think there's a bit of an imbalance, or maybe I should say a gross imbalance with that regard. And so as far as part of what I hope the legacy of exitology is, you know, if on the business side, it helps the father figures to pass down better outcomes and better situations for their children, you know, we're, we're hoping that from a more nonprofit side of things, or just, you know, supporting things that are within that vision that we can support those. Wow. That is so inspiring. It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And it's just such a a great manifestation of how you've built your time wealth. You've built your financial wealth. You've been able to create this abundance for yourself, for your family. And in doing that, you're able to give back and you're able to spend more more time to be able to create more abundance for other people, right? To be able to, to, that that, having a, having families with fathers in them, that that is a, probably the most impactful force, force of abundance that you could have, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so there's always room for one more at the prosperity table. Right. Oh, I love that. Well, Wally, where can people reach out to you? How can they get in contact with you? Yeah, the easiest way is just to go to exitology.com and you'll see what we're all about there. If you go to exitologybook.com, you can download first chapter of the book, Exitology. Talk about, you know, we'll talk about the concept of are you a miner or a miller and what that means in terms of gold mining and building your own business. And if you like what you see there, there's a way to get your own copy of the book and we kind of go from there. Love it. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for sharing your whole journey. You've been very generous and I just look forward to continuing to see your hands off CEO journey. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me on and it's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks, Wally. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Hands Off CEO with Mandy Ellefson. If you want to work less and make more, make sure you subscribe and get a new episode every week and help spread the word by leaving a review.